0: I just spend more time on the minors than I do on the majors. I'm sure you're the same.
1: Yes, it would probably be embarrassing to compare the amounts of times that I spent. (laughs) Welcome to Dorks Being Dorks, a Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we talk about out-of-the-park baseball and how it works in the Brewster Baseball Association. I'm Ron Collins, General Manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and today I've got the Commissioner Matt Rechtenwald with me, and we're going to have just a spectacular time talking a little bit about something I think Matt knows an awful lot about, and that is managing minor leagues. Uh, Really glad to have you here, Matt. Thanks so much for giving me your time today and being patient while I worked out my stupid little uh, speaker problem. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me, Ron. I think it's going to be uh, a great amount of fun because one of the things we're we're talking about uh, in uh, this dorks being dorks thing is about how we in the BBA use out of the park, and probably one of the more esoteric elements of that is the minor leagues. And I know you spend an inordinate amount of time working through the minor leagues uh, because we've chatted about that a time or two before. Uh, Mm -hmm. I happen to do that quite a bit myself, but I'm really interested in hearing your point of view on just how do you view your minors? Uh, why are they important? How are they important to you as Las Vegas general manager? Uh, just what are your thoughts?
0: You know, the minor leagues, it's, it's where you set up your future. So I spend a lot of time just making tiny little moves within the five teams I run in the minor leagues. And in addition, the uh, Florida prospect leagues, another one too, um, uh, getting these guys ready for a future role in the major leagues. I think that's
1: actually interesting. Um, It's the first time I've heard you uh, mention a phrase that really works for me. A lot of times people talk about how many leagues they're in, how many uh, teams they run, and so forth. And I always kind of boggle at that myself, because I look at running a single team in the BBA as if I'm running at least six teams. right? Right. And so I think that's uh, my brain gets overloaded in in working with more than one league at a time. That seems like. <laughs> um, and so when you said you're running five teams, I went yes, yes, that uh,
0: that really works for me. Exactly. There's just so much immersion in the one league. Um, you know, I've been a guy who's been in multiple leagues before, and I made it work. But I don't I don't see how you can um, enjoy the full experience. As well as you can, just by simply managing your one organization, which is a multitude of leagues, and you know beyond that we've got three feeder uh, leagues that need to be paid attention to as well um, in the grand scheme of things. So there, there's plenty of uh, <laughs> there's plenty of things to spread your uh, interest in this league.
1: You know, you mentioned feeder leagues. That's actually something that I don't spend nearly as much time as I would like to on. Uh, obviously, you do because you get into doing custom Ammys and things like that. How much of your time beyond doing the commissioner aspect of the feeder leagues do you spend looking at uh, the colleges and high school kids coming up?
0: Um, it's not nearly as much. Um, I'll take a cursory glance at them um, at the beginning of the season and then at the end of their season as we're starting the draft is when I, I start to get into it a little bit more. Um, I'm looking at stats at that point because statistics do play a a role in the way I draft, particularly in the way that I uh, promote and demote within my minor league system.
1: One of the things I was thinking about um, in the process of thinking about this podcast, and it actually struck me. I was kind of looking through the minor leagues of the Brewster Baseball Association, and it almost felt like I could get a flavor for the way that some of the teams uh, general managers actually work by looking at their minor leagues right almost a brand of their of their teams teams who are deep in what i'll call the kind of middling prospects teams that uh, essentially have nothing but uh, they're focused on leveraging their minor leagues to trade into their majors uh, some of oftentimes teams that have been drafting at the high end of the of the range have a collection of really superstar kind of prospects, but not a lot in the middle. I'm interested in your reaction when I say something like the minor leagues are kind of like the nexus of the team's brand. What are, what do you think about that?
0: That's uh, that's kind of spot on, and I've noticed that too myself. There's there's some folks who, um. You know, you have teams who do trade a lot of their minors, so there's not much depth there. You also have teams who um, have had either extended runs of success or extended runs of not so much success. Um, and you can kind of look at their minor league systems and see some of the seeds for that. Um, so I understand where, where you're going with that. Um, and
1: It's kind of a chicken and the egg kind of question, too, because... One of the things I like to say a lot is it doesn't matter what plan you have as long as you have a plan, right? And so if a team is barren in their minor leagues, but it's because their plan is to leverage every resource they have into their majors, that's not a negative. That's the plan, right? If a team is barren in the minor leagues because they've been drafting in the minors and they just had horrible development luck, then that's a, a different flavor. Right. And I I like your entryway into the conversation about uh, the minor leagues being where it all kind of sits. To me, uh, pulling out of the BBA and into out of the park just a little bit, for me, the idea of managing your minors is kind of the whole purpose of out of the park. There's a lot of places you can go to buy a baseball sim and run a baseball game, right? Right. But out of the park, uh, the, the thing that has always raised out of the park to me is this depth of organization and the ability to be a general manager of a full baseball organization rather than it being, in quotes, just a baseball sim. It is a sports management sim that is very deep in its fundamental baseball nature.
0: Absolutely. You heard me say it on the forums on New Year's Day. Um, this is not a outcome simulation. It's a problem-solving simulation. <laughs> uh, and I love that, by the way. My big league team has encountered lots and lots of problems over the last however many years. The The key to my sustained success has been the ability to anticipate these problems may arise and have a solution in place. And that's where the minor league system comes into play.
1: Let's talk about those solutions a little bit. I apologize. I'm in the middle of eating my lunch here, too. So. All right. I need to um, try not to sound too, whatever the right term is, there must be a term for sounding like you're eating lunch, but let's talk about those solutions. When I hear you say solutions, I start thinking about player acquisition and I think about player development and um, trying to line things up in such a way that you are building certain capabilities within your organization. How do you think about that problem-solving aspect? Where do you, how, do you, how do you look at Las Vegas right now, for example, and look ahead and start to work toward perceived problems, solving perceived problems?
0: Okay, so for decades, the strength of the hustlers has always been its pitching. In the last four to five years, that has not been the case. So I'm looking at a pitching staff right now where I had to go out and sign a 34-year-old guy who gets hurt all the time, and I'm pretty sure you know who I'm talking about because you enjoyed that experience. Yes, I did. And also have two guys on the DL for nearly a year apiece. So I got to be looking at the fact that who are my backup starters right now? So I look right now, and I've got, okay, I've got five guys on my rotation right now. I've got Chang, Fajardo, Kim, Kuhn, and Lopez. Also, I've got Chartrand, who's my top prospect, who started the season in the big leagues, and I've since sent him back down to Milwaukee. He's my backup. Um, Now, with all those guys on the DL, who's left? Uh, If you look at my AAA, you'll see that I had to sign 36-year-old Andre Jacobs to a minor league contract, and because of my complete lack of development of starting pitching prospects in the last four to five years, Andre Jacobs is currently my number seven starter. That's not going to be good. So with that in mind, if you look at my draft this year, you can see that I drafted like 100 pitchers so I saw a, a deficiency I've also it's like money ball and all these things you have to find the deficiency um, that's undervalued and try to locate it so at this point learning pitching depth has been something I've been looking for um, got lots and lots of relief pitchers and I think that's probably the case around the league right now but starting pitching is something that is hard to acquire right now and apparently hard to develop.
1: Uh, this particular example is one of a kind of a specific diagnostic, right? You're looking at a clear hole in your organization that is effectively bothering you right now, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's a hole looking out into the near future also. Um, oh, yeah. How do you think about looking out say, three years from now, five
0: years from now. And that's the next thing. You know, looking down the road here, we go down to double A. I've got no major league starting pitcher prospects. Single A, I've got potentially two, okay? Um, In short A, I've got absolutely no one. And in rookie, I now have maybe one. So... (laughs) I'm looking at five levels of ball here, and I've got maybe four potential major league starting pitchers right now. So that's going to be a big problem, which means that I am going to have to either trade for for them or sign them by free agency, which I hate doing. Um, you always pay too much, and you never get the reward.
1: You're, you're talking there about bringing people in at the major league level. Right. Um, one of the things that I think about when I think about the kind of the high level picture of what the minor leagues are for is it is this big nexus of all the players who come into your organization. hmm and this gets into the flavor of how you view uh view the game do you enjoy the trading aspect in the free agency aspect at the major league level and filling holes as they are in your organization right away because you talked about with the starting pitching stuff you've had to go out and do some things kind of meatball surgery to make things working right now um, when i think about minor league management i'm thinking about it from a perspective of you know, I've got draft picks. Obviously, that's kind of the sexy nature of filling your uh, minor leagues. There's ways to fill your minor leagues with trades. Minor league free agents, uh, which I use a lot. I go out and I, I uh, Me too. Uh, build out of minor league free agents a bunch. Rule five, which is a little bit odd because there will be times where I'll bring a rule five guy in knowing full well that he's going to sit on a major league roster for a year, but my intention is to put him into AAA for one or two years after that, <laughs> right? I actually end up using Rule 5 in those ways, usually as a way to staff my minor leagues, which is kind of an odd thing, I think. I don't think a lot of people think about it that way. Waiver claims, you can often pull somebody off the waivers and plug them into your minors, which is probably not proper versus major league mindset, but that's the way an OTP kind of works. There's IFAs, right? We can, we go out and we we buy big-picture IFAs. There's the international fines that are uh, controversial within our league because there's folks who don't seem like the, the feeling of the randomness of the pure fines. And in the old days, we had the EBA, where you'd go out and be able to bring in players into your major league system but would sometimes wind up falling into your minors at times. So how do you think about all of that?
0: Let's go to... Um... You mentioned free agency. Uh, a lot of people think free agency is, you know, major league guys. But much like you, I probably spend enormous amounts of time in the free agency pool every, every single sim, far more than I'd like to admit. Uh, younger players with a skill I like, you know, obviously they're probably going to have a wart or two, um, but maybe they could develop into something. Um, And I'll just keep going with the same example that we were talking about my starting pitching. So if you look at my AAA team, uh, there's a 24-year-old named Carlos Valentin who was a fourth-round pick of Twin Cities in 2030. Um, Signed with them, played with them for a couple of years, had some injury problems, became a minor league free agent. Last fall, I signed him. And now I'm actually using him as a starter. He just got a bump to triple A in this day and age with a four movement. Maybe he'll make an impact on the major league level. I mean, he's, he's a lefty, he's 24 and his heart is beating.
1: <laughs> so he's already, he's got uh, three major, major advantages.
0: <laughs> so it's like, you know, what do say, number one, are you a lefty? Number two, you're hired. Um, it's kind of like we're gonna switch sports for a minute. The Packers' new hire of Matt LaFleur as their head coach. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you know Sean McVay? <laughs> yes. Okay, you're hired. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, it's
1: interesting to look at organizations and see at the major league level where their players have come from. And yes, I, you know, you're looking at your uh, own organization. Uh, my rookie pitcher, uh, Ernesto Ramos, came to me as a minor league free agent back in 2032. Um, he was not a 12-6-8 talent starter when I, when I signed him, you know, but over a period of time of developing him, and we'll talk a little bit about that because I'm interested in how you view actually developing players you bring in. He became Ernesto Ramos through the process of, of uh, development. But he would never have become Ernesto Ramos if I had not come out back in 2032 and, um, and signed him to a minor league contract. And I've got like three pitchers on my roster right now, which may say something <laughs> about, yeah. uh, uh, about how poor we're doing it certain ways that have come from the minor league contract uh, free agency system. Uh, but looking at it, I've got another who came through a trade. I've got uh, three guys that I drafted. Uh, Vincente Ventura came as a trade out of I think your uh, minor league system at the time. Um, yeah, well, he know. was
0: on my 40 man, but yeah, he was yeah. through my system. Yep, uh,
1: and one I or two IFAs and a uh, international find. Uh, you know, those are. Looking at the at the composition of my pitching staff, uh, what you find is really only about four out of the thirteen or twelve guys I've got up right now came out of my own draft. Uh, one or two out of a trade. So over half of my current pitching staff, which is not performing as well as I would like it to, but should be performing better, <laughs> uh, yep. came out of uh, out of sources that are not kind of the classic.
0: Mine's kind of similar. Um, in the in the past, I've had a lot more minor league free agent signings. Um, like we were just talking about in this scenario joey flannery who's a relief pitcher who's not doing that well uh, was a minor league free agent signing mm-hmm. uh, and salvarani was originally a minor league free agent signing i've got chang who's an ifa fajardo um, who's a true free agent signing chin kim was a scouting discovery so was hao kun Lopez was a number one pick. Akahori was a number one pick. Agate Balloon, IFA. Garcia was a third round pick. Tony Medin was a trade. Um, Huber was a number one pick. Hank Brewer was a trade. Uh, Robinson Lopez was actually a minor league signing. And uh, as far as backup catchers go, that guy has uh, shown me something the last couple of years. Mm hmm. Koros was a trade. Ritter was an IFA signing way back in 2021. Uh, Benitez was a trade. Karlamov, actually, was a minor league signing, believe it or not, this year. So there's one. Baca was a trade. Cruz was a trade. Rodriguez was a scouting discovery. He's the only one that I have in my roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bender, eighth-round pick. Rechtenberg was a trade. Gill was a trade. Sweet World, number one pick, and Gomez was a trade, and Harznet was an actual free agent signing. So, you know, I only have the two real big free agent signings, and then it's just kind of a mix of all the different routes you can get players from. So let
1: me ask, uh, in the context of an out-of-the-park season, right, from January through December, how often are you spending time looking for minor league free agents or waiver claims off into the minors or uh, how often do you dig into your international complex and push them into the rest of your organization what is what is your standard cycle of managing your minors i guess is the
0: every single sim every sim
1: so what do you do when you sit
0: down so i got my game open right now and here's what i do after each sim first thing i do is i look and see Okay, so who got hurt this time? All right, so it's nothing. I go to my disabled list, and I say who can come off. The next thing I do is I look at my overview. I check my schedule for the next uh, seven days to see if I have any off days in which I might be able to switch my rotation to a four-man instead of a five-man. And then I make any quick moves as far as promotions and demotions to the major league team, fixed lineups and the staff. That's all the time I spend on my big league team. The rest of this is all minor leagues. So then I go to the minor leagues. I check every team, see if they're injured. Then I'll click over to show statistics in my minor league screen. And I'm looking for really bad cumulative performances and really good. Um, I'm looking at my top prospects to see if I can move them up uh, up or down. The big thing that I do each sim in my minors is if I've got guys who I think can be multi-positional in the future, I am constantly trying to teach them new positions. So I'm literally doing promotes and demotes between all five of my clubs every sim. I'm holding some guys in DFA every sim uh, just to cover for injuries because I want full rosters in my minors. I'm checking the rotations, I'm checking the lineups, and then I'll go into the waiver wire, see if there's anybody worthwhile in there. Then I'll go to the free agents, and I just do a quick filter, and I'll share it with anyone I do age, 24 or younger, and I'll just shoot for potentials, and I'll maybe uh, plug in a couple numbers I'm looking for as far as the international complex in my system I don't push that too much I will check it at the beginning of the year at the all-star break and then at the end of the year basically I'm looking at my top prospects <clears throat> I don't want to rush them um, but I don't want them to sit and flame out either if you take for example Antonio Ruiz who is my top prospect he's now he's an 89639 potential He's up to four six one one three. So now I have to start thinking yeah. about whether or not I want to move him up to rookie ball and let him take his lumps. So that's that's it. It's literally five minutes on my majors and an hour on my minors, every sim.
1: That's probably a, a, about a reasonable characterization of my time split. But that would be like the day of the sim. For me, yeah. the, the following day, I might spend another hour again on my minors <laughs> or on other people's minors or kind of looking around the rest of the league. Uh, the one thing that I would throw on for the way that I end up looking at my international complex Uh, I'm with you, I like having full rosters, uh, but I often find that in going out to get minor league free agents for my rookie league, whenever I end up having holes in the rookie league, um, I sometimes can't find players who will actually help me. Uh, So I will often use the international complex to staff up the the rookie league purely to fill roster slots, and under this idea that, and I'm interested in your take on this, playing time to me is the is the way to create development I don't know but I don't believe that players develop as well in the international complex as they do in Ricky League
0: that is a true statement mostly it's, it's what I feel you know, I they don't develop in the international but what I've seen happen too is if you push them too early to that's where they flame no oh, I'm getting a,
1: I'm missing you there
0: okay sorry can you hear me now yeah so I feel like it's such a delicate balance. If you leave them in the international, they're not going to develop much. Mm-hmm. If you push them into your system and they perform super badly, that's where I feel like they flame out.
1: And that's I wish that I actually knew uh, what was happening there, right? Because I don't know how much, you know, with my with our background on in the beta side, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I. Am insanely stupid when it comes to uh, digging down into the guts of how things are trying to work, right?
0: (laughs) Oh, I don't even try to pretend to understand what he's doing in there now.
1: Um, So I I can't tell whether whether what you've just said is absolutely true or whether it's just a mere fact that most of the IC guys are 16 and 17 years old and so the development engine for those 16 and 17 year olds are whatever they are, right?
0: I think what I'd say too is to people who poo-poo the um, the international guys and the ifa signings as being flameouts. um i feel like that mirrors reality like yeah. almost 100 percent.
1: yeah and i don't know uh, so much um you know it's uh, we end up having our cake and eating it too in a lot of ways because some people will say well they just flame out all the time but then um I had a very controversial trade where I took Juan Lopez, who was an international five-star guy in the complex at the time. And on the one hand, people want to say, "Well, they flame out all the time," but then when a guy like me gets a five-star in that range, uh, they everyone wants to yell and scream, "Oh, he's got a five-star!" You know, I knew that when I took Juan Lopez that he had only about a twenty or thirty percent chance of yielding, which is why I wouldn't pay as much. Uh, if Juan Lopez was a five-star in A at the time and was 19 and was somewhat developed, then everyone would have been justified in yelling and screaming and saying, oh, you got a, too much of a good deal. So it's really, it's interesting to me to see the, um, uh, not in the context of trading, but in the context of you get a five-star in IC, how um, Dong Po Thum, my third baseman who is currently in single A, uh, when he came in as a five-star IC, I was not as impressed or excited. But now that he's 19 and in single A, now I'm excited, right? Because he's made it through the 16-, <laughs>
0: 17-, yeah, right.
1: uh, 18-year-old gauntlet. And he's still got a ways to go, but I would update his percentage chance of yielding as a four- or five-star up to about 70% right now rather than the 30% that he was in a year and a half ago, right? Thanks. that's... I'm sorry. I can't
0: hear you again. Them through rookie and shorty and they get to a full season team. That's like a magic line. Um, When you, when you can get to a full season minor league team, you've got a pretty good chance of making it. You've got a pretty good chance of retaining everything, which is why uh, some people promote slowly. Some people promote quickly through the minors. I will promote, as quickly as possible to class A ball. And then after that, it's based on, you know, it's just based on the player earning it with his performance. But I'll be super aggressive promoting people to full season. Um, Like this year, I had guys playing, I wanted them to play uh, full season. They may or may not have been ready for it, but I wanted them to play. And now that the short A season is opening this next sim, I'll kick them back down there for a minute. I don't mind kicking guys back down to jumpstart their development. That may be something that's in my head, too, that it works, but I know it does because it's worked for a lot of players for me in the past.
1: I mean, my take on that is that I don't worry so much about... Uh, level as playing time, uh, but mostly, I, mean, I guess that's a question that, uh, before I start pontificating myself. Let me ask you, Is how do you think about assigning levels? Uh, to me, there's this triad of, of age and ratings and the stats that a player puts out that triangulate around where I want them to be how do you look at assigning your players into a level? Do you Are you structured around age? Are you looking at ratings? How much do you weight stats?
0: So I would say age has very little to do with it, except for the older guys. I am rich in 25, 24, 25, 26-year-old guys that will probably never make it. Um, I sign them all the time. They can't go below AA, okay? That's my rule. If, if I got to kick them below double A, they're gone. It's ratings and it's performance when I'm looking at my actual prospects. We have a guy, Raul Alia. I pushed him to double A this year on the basis of his ratings. Uh, he did not do so well in the, in the first half. I sent him back down to single A. He's rebounded to hit 384 with a 1.088 OPS, so he's going to be moving back up soon. And that's what I talk about when I talk about jump-starting a prospect. I put a lot of stock on performance and stats in the minor leagues, more so than anything else. And we're talking about real prospects here, okay? I see a guy dominate a level. I want him to continue to dominate, and then I'm going to move him up. That's how I know he's ready. The game is telling me he's ready. Do I pay attention to the arrows? Sometimes. Um, I don't take a green arrow as law and I don't take a red arrow as law, but I do pay attention to them. I do not want my system littered with green and red arrows. It means I'm doing a very bad job of managing my minors. As it stands right now, I have a total of one, two, three green arrows and zero, four green arrows and zero red arrows in my entire minor league system.
1: Yeah, actually, I, I like that basic comment, because at the end of the day, I very rarely pay great attention to a red arrow, but I will often pay attention to a green one.
0: Yeah.
1: And one of the things that I find is, uh, I've made comments before, and I'm interested on in your take on my comment, I guess, is I actually almost never look at prospect lists, you know, the team's top 20 or 30 prospects, however many they are, they are, they are getting better, uh, my impression is when I look at those, they make more sense to me now than they did three or four years ago. But I don't tend to trust out of the park when it comes to telling me that a guy is out of his league. Like if if I look at my uh, uh, listing right now, I find I've got quite a few red arrows but only one or two greens, I think. Uh, what I find is that generally when, some, when out of the park is telling me that a guy is ready to go up, I tend to agree with them. I'll put it yeah. that way. It's not that they're right or wrong. It's t- I tend to agree with them. That's I tend true. To, to not agree oftentimes when I see out of the park telling me somebody is going down. I, I guess I'll, I'll segue into another piece here is oftentimes I'll get a guy like Himu Wambugu who's got a red arrow for me. Uh, that's a guy who I'm actually looking to replace, and I'm going to either go out and get a minor league free agent if I can find somebody who will upgrade my organization, or I'm waiting for a guy in single A to, to bump up, which will probably happen once I get one of my um, current draftees that I'm negotiating with will start to flow up the organization, right?
0: Absolutely, yep. Yep. <laughs>
1: Um, so what is your take on my, on my comment about the prospect lists? Or am I on to something there, or do you think I'm just weird? Or
0: oh, No, no. The prospect lists are, um, and I say this with all due respect to our friends at Out of the Park, hot garbage. I don't know that they're quite
1: hot garbage anymore. It, at least when I look at them, I don't find things that just totally boggle my mind as often as they used to.
0: They still do for me. I mean, you got – here, for me, I've got – I have one player in the top 100 prospects in the league, right? Alvin Chartrand. He is not in my top 30 prospects. Oh, really? The guy I just drafted, Marvin Atkinson, in the second round, who's a five-star reliever, he's my number 19 prospect. The following knuckleheads are ahead of him. Jeffrey Tran, a 26-year-old pitcher with a three-control potential – Ryan Precht Spichter, a 25-year-old journeyman with a four movement. Leo Minter, a six-six-five starting pitcher at age 25. I can keep going. Oh, Tartrand is on there, by the way. He reappeared. So I think a lot of us complained about there being too many relievers on this list a while ago, and now there's, like, none. Any jabroni starting pitcher will be on your top prospect list.
1: Yeah, I see that. I'm looking at mine now. I, okay, I take it back. I agree with you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's hot garbage. So I was actually going to start making up a some kind of a formula to make our own prospect lists. I know oh, I that used to do that was, all the time. Tyler Simmons actually does that in his league mm-hmm. um, because he agrees that the prospect list is hot garbage. So I got to remember to throw that into the uh, suggestions thread and out of the park, which I'm going to do right now as we speak.
1: No, I used to do that in one of my earlier leagues um, and publish it to the whole league. And, and uh, you know, at least we had lists that, that made more sense. But, of course, they were based on my take of things. And so you'd have to agree that my take of things were the right, uh, right take. And that's why I like the conversation about the arrows and the green and the red. I tend to agree with the green arrows. I tend to uh, disagree with the red arrows. But that's my take on things. Um, Let me ask you a question on player development. And this is around the BBA in particular, right? Our random talent change level is set at a kind of a moderate high. Um, It's above average, right? It's above 100 or whatever that uh, level
0: is. Actually, um, so talent change randomness is 110.
1: And I think normal is 100, so we're a little higher than the average I've always been interested in that. Is that something that we've just always had that way, or is-
0: no? Those numbers between that and the aging and development speed. These numbers are based off uh, a couple of different um, folks from the forums who have done years and years of research on this. And I think our our randomness is pretty good, actually. I think the flameouts are happening in the low miners where they should. Our development speed curve is probably right where I want it. Our aging speed has gotten significantly better over the last 10 to 15 seasons. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, the only issue with, like, all these modifiers and everything is every time a new version comes out, there's opportunity for some fluctuation. So right. we have to keep taking a look at it all the time.
1: And I think that's actually... Um... Uh, makes the game, the the metagame aspect of it interesting, right? It's it's frustrating for people who don't want to get into the metagame aspect of it. But the idea that every time a new version comes out, uh, that things tweak and change a little bit is uh, interesting in itself. I don't think that it is as big as a lot of people tend to make it.
0: No, it's not. And it's also realistic. You know, things are tweaking and changing all the time. Let's look at the infield shift movement in the major leagues. Right. You know, you got old, old crusty guys like Ron Gardenhire who say um, it needs to be banned. And then you got guys like David Stearns who say it's part of the game's evolution. These things come and go. Adjustments shall be made.
1: Yeah, And, and at the end of the day, uh, again, oh, getting too deep into the neap of the game, the, the base equations that control the game do not change, right? And the... Um, the things that tweak a little bit are the development curves and the way a player moves through through his career, uh, and they change. But it's not like uh, it's more like trying to, to turn an aircraft carrier than to turn a speedboat, right? <laughs> okay. um, they they move gently over a period of time, and so you see, uh, even if you didn't change versions, you would still see things like the control and eye. Uh, pitcher control in batter I will shift in drift over over times and that makes uh, I'm gonna bring this back into the minor leagues because those kinds of things are actually things that I think about and I'm interested in how you think about them in a league where uh, I is drifting down the value of I gets higher yes right? do you think about that when you're thinking through your minors
0: I do in fact it's funny you mentioned I I Uh, I was specifically looking for I in prospects in the draft and not finding much. I is very important to the way that my team plays. Um, So I'm looking at I and I'm looking at then, obviously, as a direct result of it, OBP as a factor in moving people forward in the system. And how
1: do you think about pitcher control in that aspect? Because those are two sides of the same coin.
0: Well, kind of. Okay, because I pitchers development and batters development for me are two very different things um, in the way that I look at them. Tell me more. Uh, Control is the last tool that will develop for a pitcher. I feel that control development is going to happen probably at the highest level of the minors or it's finishing out at the majors. So I don't penalize guys for a lack of control moving up. Um, I'm looking at things like walks to strikeouts ratio. I'm looking at things like how many hits are they allowing. Kind of take the walks out of the equation. I won't move a guy up a level if he's clearly struggling in that level with walks to the point of it being laughable. But I won't hold a guy back. You know, maybe he's got a a 4.5 walks per nine. I kind of expect that out of a young pitcher.
1: I'm going to go another step into that. If we look at eye and control, when we look at the spread of control that is acceptable at the major league level, if batter eye is falling down, you can afford less control.
0: Yeah, I see how that could be tied in.
1: If eye is up, then uh, I mean, if I'm gonna make numbers up here, because I don't, it's been a while since I've run them, and I probably wouldn't remember them even even if I ran them. Let's say that the average BBA hitter's eye is a five, and I've got a uh, three control guy. He's probably gonna struggle. But if the average BBA hitter's eye is a four, that three control guy is probably gonna still walk more than average. I mean, he will walk more than average without any question. Uh, but the, the total impact is not going to be nearly as high because that pitcher will face guys with less likelihood of being able to uh, expose their problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. And those are actually things that do affect my point of view on how I'm moving players up into A, in particular. My impression is that I is falling. And so, for example, I've got a guy that I just now promoted because of my massive troubles with uh, Jose Chavez and a couple other guys, <laughs> uh Hanley Kim, who's a three-control guy. And he's been doing just fine in the minors. I probably would not have chosen to bring him up if I didn't feel like I was falling a little bit because uh, he's a three-control guy, but I believe a three-control guy, and Randy is a proponent of this, right? Uh, he's the John Reed yeah. aficionado. Uh, I, these things make a difference to me as I start looking at, um, uh, at the way that I move people through your organization at the upper levels. I don't really think about them too much at the lower levels, but I think about them at the upper levels, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for your patience with me on that aspect. That, that may be a little bit too esoteric for most, <laughs> yeah. most folks, but I've got you here. So I wanted to pick to sure. your brain on it. So,
0: And the same thing is true as pe- movement is the big thing right now with pitchers. Everybody wants the movement that's ticked down a little bit, but has the home run rating ticked down for batters too, because those two are always going to be tied. Sure. So same, same theory.
1: Yeah, definitely same theory in, um, you know, at the end of the day, the the three true outcomes, right, strikeouts, walks, and home runs are obviously pitted one-to-one against each other when it comes to the batter and the uh, pitcher. So um, okay. anyway, uh, let me ask you one or two more things about promotions in particular. Um, you talked about using, uh, being very heavy on stats when it comes to promotion what i heard you say and what i what i want to confirm i guess you will sometimes promote for ratings but if those promotions don't result in stats you will kick them back down until such a time as the stats start to come back up
0: absolutely
1: okay cuz that fits with with the way i kind of do things too when you have a guy who's kind of in the middle of of ratings right i, I mean 666 uh, six, 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 seven, five, four, you know, how much uh, credence do you give to their stats as indicators that they might bump
0: even more than traditional prospects? I tend to look at um, look at their stats, just like you're saying, Uh, if I think they're on the edge and their stats show me that they might be outperforming their ratings, I'm going to believe their ratings are higher. Tell me what you mean by that. Let's say you have a middling guy. Here, let's take a pitcher, for example, who's at AAA, and let's say he's got a five movement, but his home runs per nine are trending at or right under 1.0. So in my mind, I'm thinking he's probably closer to a six. He might be able to do it in the majors. Let's give him a shot. That's kind of how I look at if you're talking borderline prospects or borderline ratings, it's nearly 100% stat-driven what my decision is going to be with that player.
1: Yeah, I really like that because uh, what I've just heard you say, and and again, I'm going to put it all together here, the performance levels of a six contact can range from, say, a 260 average to a 280 average, right? Mm, Right. Right. If a guy's hitting 275 consistently and there are a six, that suggests to me that they're on the high end of that, uh, in quotes, rating. I'm using contact. You know, after our forum conversation, contact isn't a real rating, but, you know, we're using it because it's easy. My point of view on that is that I know the development engine ticks people up and or down um, in relatively small increments also. So mm-hmm. if they are at... Um, what is a six? Like A out of the 200 scale, it's like a 120 at the top end. You know, if they're at 118, it's very likely that they're going to wind up being a seven before it's all said and done. Right. If they get a decent talent bump, they could move up to an eight. And so, you know, I think uh, one of the guys that I'm thinking of right now is the guy that I ended up trading to, to Ed in um, Ernesto Garza, third baseman. You know, I watched him work. Through the organization from the time he was in short A. He was constantly hitting well, and he was never a big, big name prospect. Uh, but he's a switch hitter, third baseman, he hit well. I just moved him gently through the organization. He outperformed other third basemen, even higher prospects through the whole process. And so now he's out in Ed's organization, and, you know, I don't know what Ed is going to end up doing with him. But if he leaves him to sit there at third base, he's going to probably do two and a half war for 500K for three years. And that's a pretty good player. You know, for me, as I'm looking at that player, I was actually kind of assuming that that's what he was going to be by the time he was in Double A. So that was in my plan. If you looked at my seven-year plan, Mm -hmm. because I plug people into a seven-year plan, I know who I intend to play every position for at least seven years. I already had him in as my starting third baseman, actually, for this
0: year. That's my level of insanity, right? (laughs) That's wild. That's wild. I don't get that far because I... There's too much randomness in the future for me to uh, project out that far. I will kind of in my head think, all right, here's what I think of this guy. Here's what I think he can do for me. Here's when I think he might be able to do it. But I, you know, you're doing um, the old baseball America. Here's your projected lineup in 2045. Right. I always used to like to do those because they were fun. Um, But when you look at them, they. The, the variance is, is heavy.
1: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And, um, but they're
0: definitely fun to do.
1: My, my planning around Lelouch and Chavez is an example on that, right? My intention was to do a transition swap over of Lelouch and Chavez into Valet and Ramos but it was intended to happen next year. (laughs) I didn't intend to have to deal with the loss of both Lelouch and Chavez, so obviously the plan didn't work, but that was due to forces a little outside of my control. So. Anyway, um, talk to me about promotion up into the big leagues. We've been talking about promotion through the organization. Uh, How much do you deal with service time? How much do you... Uh, Worry about stifling people if you leave them down in the AAA for service time issues Uh, How do you determine if somebody is ready? Is it still stats based? Uh, Is it needs based? Uh, Give me some examples of what you've done there.
0: So here it's mostly needs based. I am not a, a Delay for service time guy. I never have been. I never even think about it. I don't care if I need this player and he's ready to perform, he's coming up. It's going to depend a lot on, I'm not going to bring a guy up to the big leagues if they're not going to play. I would much rather have them playing every day in Triple A than sitting on my bench. Um, now again, big difference here between pitchers and position players. Um, and I'm going to date myself as a Fan of baseball in the in the '80s, '70s, going back. I love the old style. You bring a young pitcher up, you work him in through the bullpen. He earns his rotation job. Now that is ideal for me. Gary Estes did it. Manny Bautista did it. Those guys are hall of famers for me. You know, Kim did it. Kuhn did it. Lopez did it. I'm pretty sure Chang was all. Yeah, Chang's been a starter since he came up. Chartran came up and started for me out of need. Um, ultimately, I would have liked to put him in the bullpen and earn his way there. Um, my bullpen is so full right now, I don't have a spot, so I'm just letting him start in the minors right now. Um, as far as position players go, if I think the guy is a building block, I'm not going to bring him up unless he's playing all the time, or at least in the heavy platoon that he's going to play. Um, If I think he may be a bench or a complementary player and he can help me right now or fill a deficit, I'll bring him up as soon as I can. Um, A lot of it, you know, now we're getting into 40-man roster management and all of that. There's a lot of factors at play here.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, There have been one or two obvious uh, exceptions where I have actually dealt with service time. But as a general rule, especially I think one of the things that I'll, I'll latch onto you uh, for is Vegas is a team that is consistently competing, um, and so you you are kind of a program in my mind, right? You're you have a have an organization that wins a lot, is constantly churning players up and in, and so I I liked hearing you talk about um, it's more about need, right? You're trying to fill a position. Uh, to keep, your, keep the wheels on your, on your juggernaut before oh. it's all said and done. And maybe the word juggernaut right this minute is not quite where Vegas is at, but over the big picture, you know, Vegas is like the poster child for successful organizations. I think that the time that you really want to think about service time is when you are a middling team on its way up, because there are occasions where I'll see players come up into the big leagues and I and I look at it and I go, you know, if you would have just waited like three months, your organization would be in so much better situation. Um, yeah. And it, it's because you're not going to win yet, right? Mm-hmm. There's these very small windows where I think service time actually makes a difference. But for the most part, if somebody is leaving a guy in the minors for a full year, then I worry that they're losing opportunity with that player. If they're leaving in the minors for a month or three, then I don't think they're uh, they're causing that player any damage. I actually worry that if they stay in the minors for a year extra for service time purposes, you might actually be damaging them.
0: Yeah, I worry about that too. Uh,
1: which is uh, bothering, and, and quite honestly, I'm saying that without knowledge about whether that would actually damage the player or not, uh, but I worry about it, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you decide that a guy is ready to move from the bullpen into the starter role, right? You're talking about a young guy. You like to bring them in, have them do their bullpen time. Uh, What is it that makes you decide that they're ready to start?
0: It's numbers again. Like I said earlier, I'm looking at control, finishing off at the majors, Um, looking at their pitches, look at the numbers and see, do they look like they're ready for it? Um, Then do I have a need for it? I go as far as to try to schedule my uh, young pitchers' starts in situations where I believe they'll be most successful. So I'm looking at who I'm playing and what park I'm playing in. I want them to have, I want their first starts in the majors to be highly successful. Again, I there's no logical basis in this. I just maybe I'm making it up in my mind that I feel like a, a good first start helps their psyche but yeah i just i want the numbers to tell me a story here
1: the question of how much is real and how much is in your head and how much is just fun i think Mm -hmm. is a is a big piece of this i absolutely love the feel of watching these guys move through the organization i'm doing a little um, feature set of features inside my team news on organizational depth where i talk about lots of individual players and where they've been and and so forth it makes me feel like i'm managing a baseball organization as i as i work through these players i will draft players sometimes specifically just because i'm interested in making a story about them <laughs> in my yeah. head it's a it's just an element of joy that comes into playing the game for me um, and so i guess i'm interested in picking your brain around that aspect where you're talking about you don't know whether it's real or not <laughs> but you like it does that conversation resonate with you
0: yeah it does you know whether or not it's real or not it's are you enjoying it here's the way i look at these sim games you know obviously we all know it's not quote unquote real but it is real if it feels real to you and you're enjoying it then it's real um that's just you know it's that's what i think so for me you know like i'm trying to create a A successful first game experience for a starting pitcher, I know it's not real, but it's real to me, so uh, it's become real. Uh, One
1: of the conversations we had in the early days of some of our podcasts were, you know, somebody saying it's fake baseball, and I said, oh, there's nothing fake about it. Yep. Uh, I just think these are just spectacular fun. And I appreciate you spending the time talking to me about the way you think about minor leagues, because um, you're one of the people who I look up to <laughs> when it comes to uh, to the way you go about doing the, your work. So thanks. Do you have anything else that you'd like to uh, to add in before we close this one out?
0: No, just uh, you guys, minor leagues pay, man. Take a little bit of time. You don't need to Take as much time as uh, some of us do, but take a little time, make sure you're managing it, especially if you're a team that needs to progress into the contention stage. That's where your money is going to be made, that's where your bread's going to be buttered. The Brewster Baseball
1: Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald and competed in by an amazing group of outstanding general managers. Check us out at MontyBrewster.net You have been listening to Dorks Being Dorks, a podcast where we put BBA GMs together to talk about out of the park and how it works in the BBA Music is Some of My Fears by Daisy May and is used under a Creative Commons attribution license Like the bugs are dead on the ring
0: The cross is twisted, the stars that will shine